recognized symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to my world. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer, your friend and mine, the greatest professional wrestler to ever walk God's green earth. The one and only double J Jeff Jarrett. Jeff, how are you, man? I just got to say roll tide with that. <laughs> we, uh, over the weekend, I was able to, uh, oh, record God. with Tony Schiavone, which everybody can hear tomorrow on okay. what happened when. And so on that show, we're watching the nitro that lost for the first time in 83 weeks to Monday night raw. And as we're talking about you know, just the climate of professional wrestling there, uh, April 13th, 1998, 25 years ago, uh, it comes up. Hey, who do you think is the biggest star in the history of wrestling? And I, uh, he said, isn't it? And he named a name and I said, no, it's Hulk Hogan. And he goes, okay, who's number two. And I said, Jeff Jarrett. And he quit the show. <laughs> he quit the show. He's done. Um, Hey, we got a lot to talk about. You and I recorded before WrestleMania. And actually, let's just get to the meat of the matter before the final four. And you came on this very program strutting around and you said it was going to be Miami. And you said it was going to be Florida Atlantic. And I said, no, no, it's going to be UConn and San Diego state. And UConn's going to win. Bingo. I nailed it. I said, self Connie nailed it. You know way more about basketball than I do, and I got it. And, and, and a lot of so-called experts that get paid a boatload of money. None of them had that. And and I, it's it's amazing how many brackets are played. And for our international folks scratching their head, like, what the hell are you guys talking about, March Madness? Sounds like kind of a cocktail from down under. But uh, no, uh, Conrad. It is amazing to me when you start hearing the stats of UConn's program. Yeah. The big highfalutin blue, Carolina, Duke, Kansas. There's a few others in there that didn't come close this year. But UConn, um, man, they've, and I'm talking the last 20 years, they've rolled off some wins and yeah, not sure. the same coach, you know, and all the blue bloods. Most of them have a consistent coach. But, but anyway, yeah, you nailed it, pal. Right on it. That's, uh, you know, twice a day, a clock's accurate. So we can kind of throw that in there as well. I'll take Uh, it. Yeah. Crazy, dude. It was crazy. Let's talk about WrestleMania. You know, we've got big, big news. We got to cover a lot, actually, today. We are, we do have a great topic today, and we're going to get there eventually. Oh, boy, we do. We, Derek Derek Sabato gave us 28 pages of notes. I'm going to cut that motherfucker's tires. I'm so tired of him. You're going to have to personally call and back off. He's still gun shy about you crawling his ass 18 months ago. And I get punished with just a novel. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. No, it was Tuesday with Jeff Jarrett. Conrad, lockdown 2008 had a lot of moving parts, a lot to unpack, but I'll let you carry on. Hey, not only mania, the cell, there's a, there is so much going on. Wembley, we got a list of topics, but uh, have at it, pal. Have at it. You and I have conversations that a lot of people would probably be surprised about offline because we don't often talk about creative. We talk about just the business of the wrestling business Mm -hmm. and of all the great success that WWE enjoyed a couple weekends ago at WrestleMania, 
the most successfully financially successful show ever. I think when you factor in what they did on Friday and what they did on Monday, it was like $23 million at the gate. What's jumped out to me is not that more people than ever watched it because it was on Peacock. $20 million in sponsorship, Jeff. $20 million in sponsorship. Like somewhere your dad was grinning ear to ear. $20 million. Million. Now, For a weekend, not an annual deal. Not like this isn't bumpers in and out of every commercial break like Progressive does on Fox on broadcast TV. This is something on an OTT on Peacock that not everybody can see and a $20 million commitment. It's unbelievable. Bravo WWE. Bravo wrestling. We can call it sports entertainment, but professional wrestling, the progression of it. And if we want to peel the layers of the onion back and just the evolution, Conrad, because we did have this talk and it's just, it's mesmerizing to kind of really look at it. And the things that, you know, last summer during my internship, uh, I, I was there and knew some of the numbers the, of just the on sale, the premium packages, the platinum, silver, gold, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, th- they they were into seven figures uh, within hours of putting the tickets on sale. And that's just, you know, ticket sales. But the the sponsorship, Conrad, and looking at the power of social media, because like you said, it's an OTT and years ago sponsorships. I mean, when the attitude air and you think about how red hot it was, uh, there was a team, you know, the offices of WWE are in Stanford, Connecticut, but they had a New York city sales office that really knew what they were doing, but to sell a pay-per-view package, we're talking about, you know, in the glory days, hundreds of thousands of buys, you know, it wasn't no million buys all this, but just a, a, the, the numbers were much smaller. Now those 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 numbers, when it's the impressions, 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 Peacock is one thing. Social media gets into a whole nother ball game, and Conrad, it feels like it wasn't that long ago that when you hit a million dollar gate in ticket sales, you go, oh wow, okay. Wow, that's uh, that is like uber successful. That's going down in the record books. Twenty million in sponsorship alone, crazy. Hats off to the professional wrestling industry. It's just that simple. Think about where it's come from. We talk about you know Moondog, about a roll, and and, and um, picture money, pick picture money, and just this past week was my thirty seventh year in the business. April, what me and Tony Falk and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, in the last 37 years, just in my lifetime, how far it's come. So bravo, bravo, bravo to the industry. Yeah, it's great for the entire industry. And we're going to talk about, you know, another great thing for the industry in a moment. But before we do, I want to remind everybody of one of my favorite Jeff Jarrettisms. I use it all the time. Creative is subjective. <laughs> but... I want to know, and I think I know, but I don't know that we've shared it here on the program. What'd you think Sunday night when the final curtain fell on WrestleMania night two, Roman won, Cody lost. If you had it to do over again, it was your call. Would you have pulled the trigger on Cody? 
Conrad, and this is the talking out. I'm going to get it right out front. You're talk. I will talk out of two sides of my mouth. The fact that I don't know what I really don't know, and that is the big CNBC news break that started happening about six hours before bell time, roughly right. that, Conrad? Yes. Had that not have been a real thing, so kind of unplug the sale, which at the end of the day, you know, all the news comes out and look, Dana White and UFC basically stayed, stayed as is and Ari and Endeavor just kind of lifted the whole business, but Damon kept running it. And that's the word coming out that it's Vince's baby and his business and he's going to keep running it. But at the end of the day, it, it is, it is, it, you know, the, the words Endeavor are before UFC and the words Endeavor will be in front of and are in front of WWE. So there's a new sheriff in town. I have no idea. And there's obviously the talk and rumors that the finish was it put in place, you know, a month or however long before. So I take all those variables in and look at it. And we just talked about 20 million in sponsorship, the, 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 you know, back-to-back nights, what was it? 140, 50, however many tickets sold. So super, super successful. So don't fix What's not broke. I, I I completely lean into all of that. And there is so many sides to that argument. That's the one side. On the other side is will Cody and the WWE universe, as it's referred to, be able to recreate that groundswell of finish the story. And the story being he left you know, charted his way, Dusty never, we all know the story, Dusty never, we, we, you know, charted his way, went out, all the independent promotions, all the ground squell, ground swell, and he came back, and it's no secret that the, the, the touring champion or the lead singer of the rock band or however we want to slice and dice it, yes, there's an evolution of it. The fact that we're talking about it is super successful means there was no right or wrong call. Right. I, I just, it's totally subjective, but there it is. I was waiting on that, but I, <laughs> and this is something that Jerry Lawler, my dad, Jackie Fargo, handsome Jimmy Valiant one time set me down and kind of gave me this kind of mindset is there's something about a gut feeling and Sometimes promoters go with their gut. My gut still told me it would have been the right move. I don't think it would have hurt Roman. I don't think it hurt the bloodline. I don't think if we wait a year, I don't think because we waited a year, there's going to be that many more eyeballs. There's going to be that much exponentially grown business. All the, we didn't do it this year and we're going to do it next year because of X, Y, and Z. That's still TBD. Just, I think my gut tells me they missed the opportunity and I may be wrong, but I may be right. We will see. It was uh, a hell of a match, a hell of a finish. It's funny how a lot of the audiences will say, oh, this run in there and this run in there, that run in there. Oh, they would never do that in the world title match. Uh, This match has been built and it's the WrestleMania main event of night two. 
and they had five people run in. I mean, you talk about the layer upon layer upon layer, <laughs> the screw job of all screw jobs. My man, Danny Engler, main event of WrestleMania. How cool is that? I was so damn proud of him. Uh, I re really super proud of him. But Conrad, to answer your question, I feel without risk, there's no reward. And I feel the rewards of Cody winning would pay off more than keeping it on Roman this year. I can't wait to see how it all shakes out. I know there's uh speculation that, oh, it's going to happen at SummerSlam. I want it to be a WrestleMania moment. I hope it happens next year in, uh, in Philadelphia. Yeah. I'm hoping the rock stays his ass at home. Will you share your thoughts on my world here? Yeah. I mean, listen, I, um, I, I had an inclination to think that it might be a longer story. I think that's sort of the WWE way. And I think, I think back to Daniel Bryan in 2014 is what I do. And I remember in 2013, everybody wanted it to happen for him at SummerSlam and it did for a cup of coffee. And then Randy Orton took it away and we were ready for it through the, the second half of 2013, we were primed for it. And then in early 2014, we were ready for it and it didn't look like it was going to happen. And I think that's one of the reasons punk walked out. And it wound up happening. And when it happened, WrestleMania 30, that iconic moment when he's holding up both belts and the entire building is yes, yes, yes. And here comes the confetti. It made it worth it. And then sadly the injury bug had bit him, but then it took another bite after it wasn't quite the same run. Maybe we had hoped for maybe, maybe most of all him, certainly most of all him, but I thought. Cody's injury maybe made the storytellers in WWE think, well, he, maybe he hasn't overcome enough because I do know. And, and I think Roman and even his cousin, the rock are great examples of what happens when you give too much too soon, where they start, the fans start to feel like, oh, they're shoving him down our throats. Yeah. So I was pretty disappointed on, on Sunday night. However, as crazy as this sounds, I was pretty happy when he got squashed by Brock Lesnar on Monday. Beautiful. Cause it told me for sure he's a top guy. They're not giving up on him. And if he's going to be able to go overcome the monster known as Brock Lesnar. Okay. Now we can start building the rest of the story. I'm as excited about Cody Rhodes as I've ever been. And I think there's still a little bit of juice left in Roman. So I hate to be that guy who says, let's see it play out, but let's say it, let's see it play out. I think there's a boatload of juice. That's what's, you know, Thank the Lord I got to do live TV every Saturday morning in Memphis for seven years because that it's, it's still a lot of times my default kind of mindset. Okay. Let's think through, we went off there on Wednesday night, uh, this, this, and this, okay. That went great. That didn't go so great. All right. You come back, you got a brand new Wednesday. They had less than 24 hours for the people to go, oh my God, the, that's, I can't, oh man, Brock beat him up, buddy. It, it literally is a brand new onion, yeah. All, like immediately. And that is where, okay, 
there is a lot more meat on the bone. There is a lot more story to tell us, but you know, that that's where I'm going with the creative subjective, the business metrics of Cody going out and yeah, they do big business and they, they do big business where uh, Roman's on his live events. And maybe that's just kind of the live event promoter in me. Um, but Roman doesn't make all the shows Cody will. And so what would those numbers be if you have Cody going to there you go, Wichita, Kansas? And I mean, even a San Antonio, I'm not talking about just a C and D market, a, a A and B market. Roman's schedule is, and God bless him. He's worked his butt off to arrive at that point in his yeah. life, in his physical. Good for him. That, Good yeah, for him. No, no doubt. Man, I, hey man, <laughs> hats off to him in so many ways, but the business metrics would Cody, sit a record year in um merchandise sales well um, buddy here's the thing we can tell the truth on here you and i are privy to some things we probably shouldn't know but we know things <laughs> and we know that there's a metric that shows how over a guy is and we know what percentage of those merch sales belong to cody and it's in a word a lot astounding and you would think based on saying that okay the audience is telling you what they want they're voting with their wallet they also vote with their wallet with ticket sales. And to your point, from a live event standpoint, and you know a thing or two about booking those live events, Roman's not making them. But boy, if you announce that John Cena is going to be there, that's an extra 5,000 tickets right away, is it not? It's, it, I mean, it's, uh, it's thousands of tickets when you add one guy's name. Needle mover, game changer, problem solver. Uh, it took me back to the days of, I would sit in my office, uh, my dad's office, Conrad, and I'm like 19, 20, 21 years old or something like this. Eddie Marlin would call my dad from the road. Hey, uh, Jerry. And they talk so loud, you know, the old corded phones, but yes. it sounded so loud. Uh, yep. Hey, I've, we've got this little spot show down here in Waverly, Tennessee. And I just left the coach's office and the athletic dev, blah, 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 blah. He would give the whole song and dance. Man, if we could get Lawler on this card. Now, look, Jeff and Billy Travis or Jeff and this and this. It's a great card, and I think we'll do okay. But, man, if we could get Lawler, I think it'll be just a whole different kettle of fish. Will you call Lawler and ask him? If I call Lawler and ask him, he's going to say no. If you call him, I think there's a shot. Depending upon what mood my dad was in or what their relationship was that day, I get to hear the next call and you learn a lot from hearing it. Hey, Jerry, how you doing? Yeah. Well, how was softball this weekend? Did you win? And so they would have 10 minutes of ridiculous, useless chit chat. Hey, Jerry, we got this spot show coming up in Waverly and look, it's a uh, blah, 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 blah. Will you make it? Oh, let me check my calendar. Yeah. Tell, tell Eddie, I'm not getting there till nine o'clock. That doesn't matter. Okay, well then that's the difference between a thousand paid and two thousand paid. <laughs> right. It's it be it problem solver, which makes a big difference. So you just wonder. You just wonder. Um again, those live events, greatest marketing initiative a company can do. It's it's interesting. It's really, really interesting to see watch business and watch the metrics go down. And anyway, hats off. To mania hats off 20 million in sponsorship, but the sale, Connie, 
Yeah, let's talk about it, man. Uh, well, listen, I don't guess it's really technically a sale. I mean, kind of. It's a merger. UFC is going to be merging with WWE. It'll all happen under the Endeavor umbrella with a valuation of $9.3 billion. Uh, Vince was pretty upfront about saying he wanted a uh, $9 billion. He got $9.3. He checked that box. And now he and Dana White are on the same team. A lot of people wouldn't have called that. Uh, the reality though, is as you and I like to talk about the business, when Endeavor took over UFC, they cut $70 million worth of costs. Lots of folks were laid off people who 70 been, million. Uh, yes, sir. They cut 70 million people like Matt Hughes, who, um, was a legend in the UFC and Chuck Liddell, who really helped put that place on the map were given jobs by the WWE or UFC rather. And, and they were told they would be employees for life as ambassadors for, I don't know, 250, 350 a year, some handsome, sum to just, Hey man, thank you for all you've done for us. Endeavor fired them the very next day and laid off tons of people and then said, we're done. No more cuts. And then did it again and then said, okay, that was really it. No more. And then they did it again. And so now there's a lot of people on the UFC side who say, well, I don't know what to expect. And it's already come out and it's been quoted as saying they're going to cut between WWE and UFC a hundred million dollars this time. So a hundred million dollars of costs are being cut. Now I suspect that means guys who were probably on the roster and think they're going to get a bigger check and they're going to, they're going to use some of this AEW leverage and make more money. That ain't going to happen. Uh, take a look at what's happened with the UFC guys. Don't like their contract. They're the best in the world. They want more money. Well, go fight somewhere else. They're shown the door. They're not playing that anymore. They're delivering shareholder value. I think that happens to WWE, but most importantly to me, I'm nervous about a lot of layoffs because anytime there's a merger, you see people talk about, we can create efficiencies. There's a lot of synergy. Those are buzzwords for we're going to lay a bunch of folks off. And how many folks? A hundred million dollars is what's been quoted as being cut. A lot of nervous people with the 203 area code these days. No. Oh boy. I didn't hear all those numbers and I had no idea. I knew the efficiencies and I get that. That's, they wouldn't you have to. That's the reason you do this. You wouldn't acquire it unless you're going to say, I'm going to run it better, more profitable, shareholder yes. value. I get it. That's running a business part. I get that. Yes. I, didn't I get it. I understand it. But I know there's a lot of people who might be looking for a new gig. And there was recently someone who was looking for a new gig who debuted last Wednesday, Mr. Jay White. And I don't know if you saw this, but um, Okada sent a tweet out over the weekend. Did you see that? I did not. He sent a tweet out to Mr. Jay White saying he too might be looking for a change of scenery soon. Ooh. And I said to myself, self, wow. Did they not just announce Wembley freaking stadium? This might be the most exciting time in wrestling since we go back to the Monday night war era. Every week it was a new record. Wembley stadium. When you and I talked about this a few weeks ago before everybody else knew, I said, dude, are y'all really running Wembley? And you candidly said, I don't know if it's the arena or the set, or maybe that wasn't even you, but somebody was like, it's the arena. And I was like, okay, well, that's still cool, but it's the stadium, Jeff, <laughs> 91,000 folks. This is huge. Speechless was the word that a lot of folks, I, I mean, kind of, me and you aren't ever on WhatsApp. Do you use WhatsApp? I haven't. Yes. 
Okay. That's all my British folks or international yeah. folks. That's all we do. That WhatsApp, bing, 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 bing. Yeah. I mean, it blew up. And when I got up on uh, Thursday, there was even more. It was, what a statement. I am super excited. You know, I think expectations, uh, there's a lot that kind of goes into, uh, I mean, the debate is on. But at the end of the day, Wembley Stadium, for the first time in, is it 31 years that there's been a wrestling event? And Wembley, I mean, that's, does it get any bigger as far as stadium shows? Like, no. I no. mean, the garden and, you know, arenas and just legendary. But 1992, that was kind of put on the map because it was a stadium show long before. And I know Shea Stadium and I know all the, the historian folks that, you know, Comiskey Park and there, there are, there have been outdoor, big outdoor, but in the modern era, it, it's, it's, you know, and I know Cardiff was gigantic and look at this past weekend and so far. I'm not comparing. I, I, I'm really not. I'm just saying AEW, four years, five years in existence. Um, what a statement. Uh, what a testament to our partnership with ITV in the market. Um, the demand. We've partnered with Live Nation UK. Uh, Conrad, it's epic. The business we we've if you would have asked any of us a year ago, nobody would call outlaw us. be doing a podcast coming off of the heels of the craziest 12, 15 months of his career, but to, but segue from a twenty million dollar WrestleMania sponsorship discussion into an AEW Wembley uh, Stadium discussion. No way, no way. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. By the way, Jeff, it's almost to the day, you know, that, that iconic SummerSlam, SummerSlam 92 happened on August 29th. You're going to be there on August 27th. And I just want to add some context because listen, that show, as the story goes, was not the success they expected on pay-per-view because I guess it aired a couple days later here on the 31st, but let's just remind everybody wrestling was in the toilet in 1992. Oh my gosh. The WWF had been wrought with scandal, steroids, ring boy. I mean, so much stuff happening in the 1992 era and Hogan's not on it. I mean, there's so many things that are just different. WCW was in the pooper, correct? They were running show. They had live events in 1992, with less than 300 people. There. That's what I thought. I mean, comparatively the whole landscape of devastated yes. nobody's making any money anywhere in wrestling and they ran the uk and they ran a pay-per-view they didn't just get a filler show they got SummerSlam, an established iconic landmark event and there's eighty thousand people there for it at a time when wcw could get dozens there's eighty thousand here it was unbelievable what they were able to do. And to know now that 
WWE didn't go try it again, but AEW is, is a step in the right direction. I think fans are going to turn out in droves. I think they'll, I, I really do believe you guys will draw more than 60,000. Do you and really? I do. Yeah, I do. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if you pull out some big guns, I wouldn't be surprised if Goldberg showed up. I wouldn't be surprised if Mercedes showed up. I wouldn't be surprised if CM Punk showed up. I think this is going to be a major landmark show. And I'm really interested that it hasn't been promoted as being on pay-per-view. Don't say anything. I don't know anything. You might, I don't. However, the idea that this thing could be broadcast everywhere, maybe it's on an app. I don't know, like HBO max, maybe it's on free TV, whatever it is. This could be a real landmark year for all of wrestling to come off the biggest WrestleMania ever. Now to have the biggest AEW event ever wrestling is getting hotter and hotter than ever. And I think we all have one person to thank for that. And that's Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> uh, because this past weekend I saw you guys over on social extend the olive branch. I was so disappointed. I felt like we're talking about booking mistakes and, 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 and everything is subjective and creative. You remind us of that all the time. I thought they should have pulled the trigger on Cody. You agree. I also think they should have pulled the trigger on Mark Briscoe, but damn it. That Samoa Joe was too good. And he beat Mark Briscoe. I was disappointed in that. thought it was an opportunity for a feel good moment. And I'm really glad that he's seen the light and that he knows I need mentorship. I need to sit under the learning tree of Jay lethal and the last outlaw double J and Sanjay, man, you give him an upstart talent, a newcomer like, like Mark Briscoe boy, Sanjay can just sink his teeth in there and nobody's going to go bullying him. Not with our man Sotnam hanging around. Right. Let's not say he's an upstart at the end of the day. Um, He's new to AEW, by God. Okay. No, Mark Mark has had, um, unfortunately, uh, it's been tough. But him and Jay Lethal, I had no idea. I I had no idea the bond that that Jay Lethal had with both Briscoes. But Jay and Mark got a special, unique friendship. It kind of came up in conversation. Jay Lethal kind of gave a double take when Sanjay went, hey, man, yeah, look, we're we're a unit here, and Sotnam's coming into his own. I think there's a lot of th- things that that uh, that Mark Briscoe could learn from Jeff. It, you know, timing and and you know, at the end of the day, maybe a little politicking here or there and winning away. At the end of the day, win. It's all about winning. He he didn't exactly have his best showing. His family was at ringside. Um, you know, some people even said it's a little bit of embarrassment that. Um, his first big showing at the pay-per-view WrestleMania weekend, uh, wife and kids at ringside and he took the loss and they gave him a standing ovation. I don't think it's embarrassing whatsoever. I think it's part of the learning curve and that's what I want to, you know, they call it a learning curve because I want to expedite that. I want to speed that up. AEW moves faster. It's a different game than ROH. It, it is. It just moves faster. A lot more talent. A lot more chess pieces on the table. We're not playing checkers anymore. So, um, I think it's great. I think at this point, Mark Briscoe's a little bit confused, a little bit. But I just think once the dust settled, I think he's going to be elated. Um, I do. I think he's going to be elated with the success we show him. 
Well, we're going to be showing a lot of success on our program today. We're going to be talking about one of the biggest and most important events in TNA history. But before we get there, I want to remind everybody, and we're talking about live event business and, 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 and how to sell tickets and move tickets. Shoes baseball just announced that on opening day, and we talking now the founder of nitro, the creator of the NWO, he's going to be there. Eric Bischoff. Doing a little baseball action with you? What in the world? Not the new world order. The shoe world order. I love it. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm tickled to death. Eric's coming to Springfield. Springfield Lucky Horseshoes. Uh, really, collectively as a uh, organization, we're super honored to have him. I know this. Last year, Conrad, Kevin Nash of the NWO fame uh, made an appearance. It was the number one appearance that we did all season long. So it was a no brainer internally when they said, Hey, we want to get personalities. We got NASCAR and actually some country music folks were in the run in. Uh, we had some uh, movie stars, uh, field of dreams, all these different kind of things were going on. And internally with all the interns in, anyway, Eric was a unanimous number one choice. So we're tickled to death. The community's fired up. Uh, we have our Cubs Cardinals legends games that officially kicks off the season, but our opening night, uh, Springfield lucky horseshoes, Mr. Bischoff, the founder and the leader of the new world order. And he's going to be the, uh, without question, the leader of the shoe world order on opening night, Springfield, uh, lucky horseshoes at shoes baseball on all social media platforms. So listen, we're, uh, one week away. go ahead. Uh, what, what's one week away. We were from the uh, GFW episode, I got so much great feedback on the global force conversation. I saw dozens of comments on social that said it might've been the best podcast you and I have ever done because there was so much new information revealed about the relationship with Dixie, the exit, the whole thing. Uh, what was the feedback you got about our global force episode? Uh, you know, I did that. That was such a, um, It was such a crazy time in my life. And I'm talking about the 2013, which led into the 2014. It was, it was literally what a yo-yo my life was in 2013. Cause I really thought we were this close, this close, this close, this close. And then the rug pulled out from under it, but it, you know, it, to me, um, no regrets, no res resentments. Cause it really changed the direction of my life. Uh, here we are today. Who would have ever thought, you know, had I stayed, and and hats off to Mr. Demore. They celebrating their 20th anniversary. And I think Chris Saban just said he's been with the company 20 years and yep. lots of buzz and, and hats off to those guys. But me stepping away from that, uh, afforded me some opportunities, uh, as we sit here today. Uh, so yeah, a great feedback. I appreciate those kind of, uh, responses. Um, there was a good thread on Instagram on, on, on a post that, uh, a fan, a reporter put, and I, I read some comments on it. Anyway, it was a blast, man. It, great feedback. A lot of folks, because it just wasn't Wade and 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 Jason Powell or Dave Meltzer or any of of, of the top known journalists. They 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 weren't privy to that knowledge because it wasn't reported. Because at the time, heck, it wasn't news. Maybe it wasn't news now. But as it as as we and you did, Conrad, in my world here on the podcast. It was a story. It is a story. It's kind of crazy, the ups and downs of it. But, yeah, 
A lot of fun it was last week. And this week's going to be good. A lot of fun, though. Anything else you want to hit before we talk about our subject? I'm ask you. And look, this is, speaking of Eric Bischoff, he does strictly business. Let me ask you. And there, there are no losers in the UFC, WWE. But now, just like everybody likes to kind of sit back and armchair quarterback, but now you do have UFC and WWE under the same roof. The economy is a scale. Yeah. End of the day, you're going to look at each of them as an asset. Yes. One of them's going to be stronger than the other. One already is stronger than the other. Which one? UFC. UFC's got a $12 billion valuation. WWE's got a $9 billion valuation. Do you think that it'll be sustainable? No, WWE will pass it. Yes. I, I just think when I, when I, it, it was about, I don't know, during WrestleMania when I was watching uh, last Sunday, I said, when it's all said and done, if I'm out there selling, advertising to Ford, to Pepsi, to whoever it may be. The integration what, you can do with WWE versus UFC is not comparable. I, and and they're in SoFi, to my knowledge. Has UFC done a stadium show this year? Uh, I don't think they've done one this year. They've done stadium shows. And by the way, UFC has bigger gates consistently. They charge more for their tickets. Like Yes. Yeah. I mean, listen, UFC is a more profitable venture right now. There is no debating that. However, you've really kind of had one genius at work. That's not fair. There's a lot of genius that works at WWE. However, the, the business acumen that, I mean, let's just call it like it is the old board versus now this new board apples and pomegranates, totally different. And it says, nay, nay. It's not even close. I mean, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to poke fun or be disrespectful to anybody who was on the old WWE board, but look them up and now look up the new management team. It's not comparable. I mean, I'm not trying to say that to be ugly. I don't mean to diminish anyone's career or, or standing in business or whatever. I'm just saying the game has changed. They're going to level up. They're going to be bigger. They're going to be more mainstream. They're going to make more money and that will be great for shareholders. I don't know how great it is for everybody else yet. Time will tell, but I'm really excited about what this means for wrestling because listen, I know for a lot of people, it was just another Monday, but I'm telling you wrestling as we know it long-term changed last Monday. Yes, sir. Uh, Okay. We'll we'll wrap it up because I, I, that I was curious because it is mixed martial arts and that's on one side. And the other side is sports dash entertainment and i'm gonna lean really heavy into that entertainment ari my man of endeavor is a master at the entertainment industry it's well let's let's also say this too like who are the stars of ufc right now i'm talking about on a mainstream level the cat who was in the main event this past weekend i could run down to the walmart today and we would not be bothered i'm just being honest i'm with you Conor McGregor is their biggest star. Don't even remember the last time he fought and people are going to say, well, when's the last time he won? None of that matters. We're making stars. We're trying to get the mainstream to pay attention. They're going to be able to do that in a way they haven't been able to do that with the UFC. And they are going to be worth a whole lot more money, but listen, everything in life doesn't have to be complicated. That's why Jeff and I know to make it easy and use Sunday. Jeff lives in a mansion on a lake. What do you mean you hush post pictures of your house? What are you talking about? 
He lives on an island. That's more apt, right? He's surrounded by water. Some of you got gates around your house. Jeff has a moat. Okay. You can't just wander up on Jeff and you best not get on that grass either. Not cause he's been working hard on it. Although it looks like he has, he knew what I knew. You need Sunday. He wants to get out and enjoy this time of year. He don't want to spend time working in the yard. He wants to spend time chasing Cody around teaching him the rock bottom. And if you feel like you've reached the rock bottom, cause every time you go outside, you're just looking at a whole bunch of weeds. You need Sunday reclaim your weekend. Take one more thing off your to-do list with Sunday. Seriously. It's everything you need to get the lawn. You've always dreamed of this spring. As a matter of fact, today go right now to get sunday.com slash my world and enter your address. You'll get a customized plan created just for your lawn. I'm not kidding. I want you to do this. I can't believe they can do this. They've got satellite footage of your house. You don't believe me, do you? It's getsunday.com slash my world. They can take a look from the sky above and see how much you need, what you need and where you need it. And bam, they ship it to you. No more trips to the store. No more hauling heavy ass bags. They're going to ship it right to you. And you don't need a bunch of fancy equipment. You know what you need? A hose. Not the Godfather's kind, the kind you drink water out of. You fertilize your whole lawn in less time than it takes to watch your favorite episode of a TV show. And they only use ingredients you can feel good about. I mean, no harsh chemicals, no long waiting periods, no trying to keep your pets or kids off the lawn. Just apply it, let it dry and bam, back to enjoying the yard. Not only is this better than what you've been doing guys, it's also cheaper. I'm almost embarrassed to admit a few years ago before I discovered Sunday, I had one of those services. Yep. One of those national services. And they'd tell me I needed eight treatments and it cost me this and it cost me that. And man, I spend more than $1,500 a year. Sunday's full season plan started just one Oh nine. That's worth repeating. Sunday's full season plan started just one Oh nine. And right now Sunday's offering our listeners 20% off full season plan started just one Oh nine. And you get 20% off when you go to get sunday.com slash my world. That's get sunday.com slash my world. That's 20% off your custom plan at getsunday.com slash my world. Jeff, you and all your millionaire friends on your Island up there on the water. You're the envy of all their lawns now. Are you not? Well, Conrad, what is technology not going to affect, right? It's unbelievable. When I started reading as uh, Mr. Green through our, uh, the, the ad copy and, and all the facts and the figures, all this, I just kind of a head shaker and say, sign me up, pal, sign me up. It's and there's guys on my street that I'll just say this. They just got too much dadgum money. They're spending way too much. They're out there all day long working it's on the stuff. It, it's, time, it's money. This is man. You're ready. Full season plan. Twenty percent yep. off. Get slash my world. Jeff, six hours into our conversation, we're finally ready for our topic. Sorry about that, pal. Lockdown two thousand eight. You know, the, for years we've seen like the uh, the big four of the WWF. We know what those are: Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series. Was lockdown 2008 going to be one of your tentpole events like that? Do you think for sure we counter programmed, if you will, 
WrestleMania glitz and glamour and Hollywood and everything that goes with it. And lockdown was simplistic. It was going to be all steel cage format. And, you know, I don't say, yeah, the best way to say it is our, our marketing efforts were going to be counter programming. It wasn't going to be slick and all that kind of stuff. It was uh brutality, cell violence, brutality, um, all the adjectives or descriptions that you want to, but uh, could you tell me what would you say our big four were? Did you? Well, in my head, it would be Bound for Glory. Yep. Slam Anniversary. I, I didn't know if you heard Slam. Victory yeah. Road. And lockdown. And, and lockdown. And and look, the, the simplistic is January and April are January, February, March, and April are the best buying months of pay per view. It's it's just. It's TV season. People are more inside. It's winter time. You know the weather breaks early, mid, uh, late April. So that's our that's that's the most lucrative uh, buying months in the pay per view industry. Our anniversary show was our summer show. It didn't want to go in July because uh, that's traditionally where SummerSlam was late July, early August. So we took it June. It was legitimately June 19th, 2002, as we all know, was our very first event. So it was our anniversary event. And then we got into the fall, just like the old slot that uh, Halloween Havoc uh, had and Halloween Havoc didn't go uh, up against Survivor Series, the traditional Thanksgiving Day tradition. It went into October uh, based around as the only October holiday, so to speak, Halloween, and that's where we placed our bound for glory. So that's in a nutshell, kind of the the, the strategy, the marketing strategy of our big four at TNA at the time. It's right away uh, in the production notes that we've received that we've gotten from uh, the folks who helped you back then. I don't know if we should say their names or not, but Kurt versus Joe is going to be the main event that's in mind, even going back as far as December. And along the way, you're going to have some problems with Samoa Joe doing that Scott Hall promo. And maybe he has some issues with Kevin Nash. And now you're even in contract talks with Joe, but you're still moving forward. Any hesitation on, on going with Joe here? Look, in reading the notes and doing my best recollection, and we've covered all this, the promo, uh, Joe, we we were, you know, we had all the confidence in the world that he was going to re-up, uh, although it wasn't a sign uh, on the dotted line. We integrated that into storylines. But then the day, once we got Joe rolling or he got himself rolling or collectively we did, and the undefeated streak, and then the natural best out of three series against Kurt, um, we, you know, we didn't do everything right at TNA. Uh, that may be an understatement, but, you know, we showed our patience with Joe. He went on a year and a half a winning streak, and then who's the best guy to break it? And they did the headbutt, and we did money there, and then they had the rubber match, and then we came back, and all that that went together. But Joe, as a performer, for us, and yes, he had wrestled in, in other, you know, some, some Japan Ring of Honor, but he had not come up through the WWE system. He checked all the boxes to be, uh, you know, uh, certainly AJ was with us from day one, but Joe was right up there and on the momentum, he checked every box that we possibly could create to be a homegrown star face of the company. And so there were some speed bumps along the way, but Joe had it all. He had the entertainment component of it. He could talk, he could work, he could do it all. And so 
we stayed the course and I'm glad that the notes showed all that is that, you know, it was, a, you know, it was six, nine months that we, we wanted to stay the course and eventually crown Joe the champion. And, and this is the event that we headed into and promoted it. And what a great opponent and Kurt and the way he had been just not built, but just his persona and his in-ring work, not just physical, but his mic skills. This was a really well-built story that paid off. No doubt it does. And it stands out because it was so different from everything else you guys were presenting at the time, you know, not to go negative, but just being realistic. You'd done a lot of entertainment, maybe a little less sports with Kurt recently, the whole nonsense with uh, Kurt and Karen divorce. And don't get me wrong. It was fun, but this is where we're trying to lean into badass Kurt and do more of a sports type build, more of an MMA type build. That was by design, right? We wanted to show, Hey, there's, there's gears in this character. And I used to have conversations in the creative room. Kurt's so damn talented. You don't really think of an Olympic gold medalist, uh, uh, the multi-time amateur world champion, you know, if not the most decorated, he's certainly up there in the top five of the most decorated amateur wrestlers in the history. I mean, it's, crazy when you kind of look at his stats but on the flip side he can do comedy yes <laughs> he can do um i don't even want to call it unintentional comedy but as a character he he can not under he he, he can be a badass or a buffoon and everything in between bingo you said it better than i did so is that a blessing or a curse because it opened the door to do the the wedding, which was straight comedy and Karen ends up, uh, with AJ. And then, I mean, there were so many things, even in his WWE run and singing Kumbaya and the rap and all that. So a multi-dimensional talent, but I think the well-roundedness when he did all that silly stuff, but then all of a sudden we bridged it from an in-ring and I, I don't want to jump too far, but we did an in-ring where Kurt was, basically cutting ties with Karen, but he turned it and basically went into badass mode and says, great. Now I don't have to worry about anything, but my world title, the most important thing to me in the world. And it, it, they kind of set the stage for exactly where we were going. Do you think, and I'm asking just your philosophy question here. Do you think there's such a thing as being too good? I mean, like, and I'm, I, you know, listen, I'm probably going to get picked apart for this. And I thought several years ago, man, maybe Dolph Ziggler is just too good at making other people look good. Like Dolph Ziggler has the ability to make anybody look like a million bucks. Yep. And so because he's so good at it, it becomes a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing that he's had continuous employment for decades at this point with WWE, yes. but it might be a curse in that, well, we don't feel like we have to make him the top guy because he can help us make a bunch of other top guys. And I feel like with Kurt, that might also be a blessing and a curse in that. Yes, he can do comedy like, but if he didn't, if he didn't have that talent and he was just pushed as a badass, maybe history would remember him differently. Now, people who were really paying attention, I think most people would say, well, Kurt Angle's got to be top five all time, no matter where you put him, like he's on there somewhere, but is it almost can it almost work against you sometimes of being so good case by case basis? Uh, yeah. Kurt, um, 
well-rounded enough that he could kind of shift gears. You know, you think back to timing. When Dolph was, I'll say, kind of coming up, and and we can you can plug in five or ten other talents, hundreds of talents through the years, but the timing of, th- think about this, 2011 or 12, I, I don't know. So we're going back. Let's just go back over the last 15 years. Punk's cat or not Punk's cashian. Dolph's cashian was 2013. Okay. Perfect. With, with the deafening pop Monday after mania. What in 2013 were Dolph's alternatives? Yeah. Excellent point. Nothing, not, nothing. So yeah. he got up there in that upper echelon, not the main event, the tip top guy, but then all of a sudden, Hey, we're going to go a different direction. If he would have walked in and said, not being a political asshole or none of that. No, let's talk about this. Let's let's, uh, but he's almost typecast maybe in his own mind that I'm not going to rock the boat because where are you going to go in 2013? Right. That's timing is everything. You kind of look at the doors that were opened over the last four and a half, five years from the con family changed the game. We, yeah. you know, point being, there's a lot of talent. I mean, think we're at Wembley. I mean, but it changes the game when you have to look at the entire landscape. Well said, um, the torch is, uh, is really high on and, and the observer. Everybody was really high on this badass version of Kurt angle. Um, was there anybody else who would have been able to flip that switch like Kurt could here all those years ago to go from the silly comedic skits to, I, I think he, at the time, he might've been the only guy who could have been able to pull it off like this. Well, I'm not exactly sure of your question, but, but, uh, Jackie Fargo taught me and others that was kind of the magic of him drawing money make them laugh and then yes. piss them off. Jerry Lawler in that mold. Uh, the yes. one thing that came to mind is you kind of think about Mick Foley's, I don't say entire career, but the three faces of Foley and Mick is so good at telling the story, but he'll get you laughing and this and that. But man, when you kind of flip the switch and go into sadistic, badass Mick Foley, it's not the same as badass Kurt Angle, but it is still I mixed pissed. This is it's, it's being able to shift gears. And I just think the more you can shift gears, I think that's part of my success in AEW, to be honest. I, I think, you know, we were having the conversation, years. Yeah. We were having the conversation backstage the, the other night in that. Don't make them laugh right now. Get them pissed off. And, and I was, I was giving advice to another guy, but I'm like, that's kind of where you start drawing money that you yanked the rug out from under him. But Kurt did that. Kurt in this story went from the silly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, he shifted gears and even what you're saying, Wade Keller, Dave Meltzer, those folks that yin and yang of it. Hey, we, we got away from comedy. We love this. Listen, we loved it watching this build. I mean, there's a video feature with MMA reporters talking about Samoa Joe versus Kurt Angle as if it was going to be a legitimate fight. 
And let's remember now, Samoa Joe's been using an MMA style in his matches, and Kurt Angle had been rumored to be talking to UFC folks for a while and, and had an interest in MMA. And we know what an elite level amateur wrestler he was. And they're even going to have Kurt do some media interviews where he's sort of insinuating there's going to be some realism here. It's going, there is going to be some parts of this that are going to be a real fight. We even see video of Kurt training with no boots on. He's got his hands and feet taped up. He's got a singlet pulled down. It looks very MMA. I mean, this is, um, leaning into the realism. And by the way, once upon a time, maybe all that wouldn't have worked, but MMA really got put on the map with the ultimate fighter in 2005. So here we are three years later, people are much more familiar with jujitsu and striking and just MMA as a whole. And they fight in an octagon and you guys have a six sided ring. There are similarities here. They're not. And Kurt, it's, it's, you know, what is not just Kurt, any talent, what's the best way to succeed? And it is without question, play an extension of your own personality, hyper-focus on a thread that you can dial into that you, not only the audience believes you actually believe it at first, it's not that much of a stretch. Kurt had been at the highest level in shooting, you know, Maybe it's amateur wrestling. Now this was going to be MMA. So him playing this role was really an extension of his personality. You know, who knows if Kurt in, you know, would have been 10 years. How would you say this younger? Just think if he had won the 2004 Olympics. Hyper, you know, hypothetically saying if he won the gold medal instead of 96, 2004 and come out of that and him and Dana White hooked up. And okay, my body's fresh enough, um, this, that, whatever it is, he, he's dialed into striking and, and, you know, ups his game and all the other facets, uh, of the arts outside of amateur, outside of wrestling, who knows, um, just the timing wasn't there for it, but as it relates to this story, the people bought into it and Joe's aggressive nature, when he came in, especially kind of on his dominant undefeated streak. That's what Joe did. Strikes, submissions. Um, that was playing an extension of Samoa Joe as well. Let's also mention that you're going to bring in Frank Trigg here. Mike Tanay is going to promote an appearance from Frank Trigg, who was a UFC legend at that point. And he's going to be talking about Joe's training. You actually saw Marcus throw up uh, a little clip of that or a still of that. How was Frank Trigg to work with? How did that all come together? Is this a spike initiative or talk me through that? You know, and I tried to rack my brain. I believe it's a Samoa. Most people think, oh, that's got to be a Kurt connection. I think it's a Samoa Joe original kind of connection. And yeah. I'll never forget the first time. I don't know that I met him, but the first time I had had kind of a in-depth discussion with him was um, on a park bitch at uh, Universal Studios we just kind of sat down and started chatting and I'm like, this guy is not just articulate, but he's got a boatload of charisma. He's, he's really good. How can we kind of take this? And you know, he was just in and out, but I thought he was a great addition to, to this story specifically. Um, he, you know, you look at the, legendary MMA guys, and we've touched on this with the Endeavor discussion, the, the Liddell, 
Tito and others like that, they've got a lot of, you can call it professional wrestling, but they got a lot of charisma. Frank's got charisma. No doubt about that. Uh, as for the rest of the show, there's some interesting stuff. It looks like you're teasing that maybe like Machismo and SoCal Val are going to get married on this show. Sanjay Dutt is always popping up and proving to be jealous and trying to find a way to interrupt their dates. It's fun to note 15 years later, they're still hanging out. Uh, lethal lockdown has Christian and Tomko being the respective captains in a weapons match. Tomko is really being pushed here. By the way, that's 10 guys in a cage match with weapons. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little Memphis there. Uh, Tomko as a top guy though. Uh, who was so high on Tomko here? Well, if, if we back up into this story, it was Christian Tomko and AJ Styles. Yes. And, you know, I think Christian uh, deserves a lot of credit kind of in the whole thread that he helped elevate Tomko and his talking and uh, obviously helped AJ and his kind of maturing as, uh, you know, getting his range of, I hate to say acting skills, but yeah, kind of his range of character. Uh, so it all kind of worked together. And I know internally we were like, all right, so it's a 10 man tag. If you will, AJ's there. Let's highlight Tomko coming out of the Christian split and push Tomko up the card. He wasn't main eventing this show, but it, it was the crimp, uh, Christian Tomko storyline. Um, lack of a better word. We wanted to give him the ball and see, see how it turned out. Well, we know how it's going to turn out, but before we do, we should talk about Petey Williams and Scott Steiner. <laughs> Steiner's got two briefcases and two title shots for the X division and the world title. You're pairing them up and this has been a lot of fun, but it is at times a little odd. Petey would lose. Steiner would put a mask over his head, handcuff him, even zap Petey's nipples while he's in the handcuffs. This is silly, but it sure is fun. Who thought these guys would be magic on camera together? Cause it was so fun. I was a huge proponent of big Papa pump and little Petey pump. Just, I don't know who the original idea was, but as we were rolling through creative, um, you know, Scott was always, you know, his WCW promos when he shifted out of the Steiner brothers and the big, bad booty daddy, Scott's got more range than you would think he would have. Uh, you know, that's one of the clips that, that got a lot of buzz uh, over the last couple of weeks was Scott in India, which I continue to chuckle at. But Scotty's range and him and Petey had a natural friendship and chemistry. And I thought Petey brought a side of Scott out that uh, was entertaining. Um, man, I had forgotten all the shocking and uh, we'll call it the silly stuff, but it was yeah. entertaining on TV. Uh, the motor city machine guns, as you may recall, did not want to, uh, <clears throat> get color. And we've covered that on recent episodes. And according to the newsletters, their burial here would continue because they lose to relic and black rain before super Eric. That's right. Super Eric comes out in the Cape and a mask and beats up both heels. Was there ever a consideration? Hey, let's just cut these guys. I mean, was it that bad? Like. Hey, they pissed us off, or is this all just newsletter fodder? Newsletter fodder. I, I mean, I, I know there was an issue over the uh, getting color, but yeah. I think that was kind of let's move on, guys. Um, I do know uh, because I tried to kind of 
I wish, uh, hey, Derek, I'm going to get, I want you to add a page to research and then kind of get it back. No, but if, if I could look at like at a roster page, um, I, I feel like we were loaded in tag teams. You were. And, and, and so newspaper fodder is like, hey, we're, we're down on the, the Motor City Machine Guns. Reality is we might have had two, maybe three babyface tag teams above them. They were always great performers, though. Let's talk about something else that's maybe a little unpleasant to talk about. Uh, I guess it all wound up all right. In the torch, it's noted that Conan and his attorney are working on a lawsuit against TNA for racial discrimination. Uh, it's written here. Conan has not filed the lawsuit yet. As was reported last week, Jason Powell at ProWrestling.net is reporting that the lawsuit is definitely in the works, but Conan's attorney has only filed a complaint with the equal employment opportunity commission in Atlanta on Conan's behalf. They have 30 days to respond. Uh, what do you recall about this issue between TNA and Conan? I remember getting the call in that, Hey, this is headed in a direction that's really not good for anybody. What do you recall? And I said, Hey, start asking me questions and I'll fire off at the end of the day, you know, how it all turned out. Carrie, uh, I think it's Ichter, Ichter, uh, you know, we, we went through all that. It became a mess. There was a settlement. Then all of a sudden as a TNA entertainment slash Panda energy international, we hired Conan's attorney to come be a part of, um, continuing education. It, it was that whole, not say whole, the entire process that this all went through, still bizarre to me to this day but uh at this i think where we're at in the story here is i i think dallas was hey this is on your radar don't worry about it till we come back to you i didn't understand the ins and outs of it and they didn't want me to lose focus on running day-to-day -day business because the kind of the takeaway was these kind of things take forever to get processed well, something that didn't take forever to get processed is your new deal with Johan promotions. They're going to allow you guys starting with the lockdown pay-per-view on April 13th, uh, which will be 15 years old this Thursday. It's crazy to think about, uh, it's going to allow your guys shows to be shown in bars and restaurants and things like that. Was this a major revenue line item for you guys or not so much? You know, and that's, um, 2000 and we've well documented when we got the spike deal it's it's like we kind of i think i've said it getting to sea level and then the one to two hours was a, a massive uptick in revenue but the video game the action figures deals like international joe hand getting exposure not only can you go watch a tna pay-per-view in a sports bar but kind of the marketing effort that a bar can do you know, if, if they so choose that, Hey, come watch this Sunday, the TNA pay-per-view. So they're really marketing for you. Yes. They're going to create the revenue out of it and sell more nachos and beer and everything that goes with it. But it was another, you know, a, a building block. That was something that when Dallas would hear about it, we'd have a conversation. I'm like, Hey, it all goes in the same pot. It doesn't cost us anything. And we're creating this pay-per-view once a month this is just in a lot of ways, just gravy it, again. It was just getting that snowball of momentum going in the right direction. Took a while, but we got it going. 
let's talk about all the other things you have going for you. Uh, there's actually uh, an article written in the Wrestling Herald where it talks about you've got a two-hour primetime show, an increase in demand for your outside talent bookings, like Matt Morgan being on the Gladiators, mm. the Midway video game in the works, your overseas TV sales are up, uh, the, the higher ticket prices being charged at the house shows. It feels as if you've got a lot of momentum, but the pay-per-view buys are not exactly there. And I know a lot of people who, who really started paying attention to the business of professional wrestling during the Monday night wars, they would read in the newsletters. Here's the ticket sales. Here's the, the buy rate. Here's the TV ratings. That's kind of it, but there, that, I mean, pay-per-view revenue. Yes, it's important, but it's one of many revenue streams for a wrestling business, right? Jeff. Oh gosh. So many. I had this thought, Conrad, I haven't ever shared it with you, but I did it looking at the notes this morning. Can you imagine, we'll just play a little hypothetical during this time. If we would have gone to spike and said, Hey man, domestically, we're getting out of the pay-per-view business. We're only going to be in it four times a year. The other eight times we want to license these eight pay-per-views to air live on Sunday night. Nice little thing for us to play armchair quarterback 15 years later, because when you look at what you just said, the international sales, the video game, later the action figures, Joe, all these different things that were, you know, bit by bit coming on. The one thing that didn't hit on all cylinders by any stretch was our pay-per-view business and taking away eight of them and having the world focus on the four of them. Would that have radically changed the buy rates? Maybe, maybe not. But uh, yes, you know the the good thing is when we when we when we were in Orlando, our production expenses were only labor, the lights, the truck. We were already the, so it was it was it wasn't near the cost to do a traveling pay per view. So it was still profitable to highly profitable. We, uh, we mentioned Matt Morgan doing some gladiator stuff. Did that lead to uh, renewed interest and in trying to make him a, a feature, a more featured part of the show? You know, we were all, and I'll say hi to relatively high. Matt is six ten, um, a good worker. And we tried and succeeded on relatively different levels with him. But getting that gladiator gig, that's a big deal. <laughs> and I don't think internally we shifted our view on him because we, you know, he was on the roster for a long time. I do think the spikes of the world and the, you know, Sony's of the world in India, wherever it may be, or an action figure, his Q rating went way up with them. It was a good, good it was really a good a profile piece on, on that side. Uh, Dixie Carter, according to the observer had an idea several weeks back to fly a plane over WrestleMania to advertise impact. It was still on as late as the day before the show, but WWE got wind of it and somehow managed to get the company TNA had gone to, to get it stopped. The company had first told TNA they were weather problems, but when TNA investigated further and nodded, all sorts of planes flew over above during the show, TNA felt the company they were working with breached their contract. I love this TNA also hired vehicles with big screens driving around the citrus bowl and raw 
saying to watch impact on Thursday and passed out a ton of flyers. The next night they had the truck in the parking lot at the Amway arena and were kicked out of one parking lot and went to another WWE sent staff who told the truck to leave the other lot, but the driver refused. The funny part of all this is how the rules are selective. Kevin Nash was socializing with WWE wrestlers whenever he wanted. And as you can imagine, nobody on either side said anything. He attended WrestleMania with his son in the sky boxes and was backstage on March 27th at the TGF Fridays. There's a wild scene with companies or wrestlers from both companies drinking together. Johnny Ace showed up and people started behaving better, but even he was having drinks with Jeff Jarrett. Listen, I know that this is not what a lot of people want to hear, but folks, these WWE wrestlers, they don't sleep under a WWE blanket at night and the AEW ones don't either. They're friends with their colleagues and their colleagues don't always work in the same place they do. It doesn't mean that because you work somewhere else, you can't be friends with them anymore, but the business of let's flyer it. I like it. Let's drive trucks around it. I like it. Let's fly a plane over it. I love it. What do you remember of this? <laughs> oh, and for folks that may be a little bit confused. So this is March, April of 2008. This year, 2008, WrestleMania, WrestleMania is there in Orlando. In Orlando. This is the year Flair retires, correct? Yep. Anyway, it was, so Bob Ryder, God rest his soul, he did a number of things for us, but travel was his bread and butter. And he was a travel agent back to the late eighties, but way back. And he, cause we dealt with, we would get numbers on how many people were going to be in the park and how many. So Bob knew travel numbers of tourists in and out of Orlando and had metrics and we could kind of dial into that. And he just, that's part of his business outside of wrestling. Again, he's a travel agent and sold cruises and, cruises that would leave out of uh, Cape Canaveral. Anyway, he knew the business. So when we found out, and then as the weeks and months lead up to it, that Manny's coming to Orlando, we were like, okay, there's going to be 70,000 plus. We know wrestling fans. So how many international and everything that went with it. So then we kind of said, this is great. So Spike said, how can we help? Hey, let's go live the Thursday before mania. All right. What else can we do? We can hire marketing trucks and drive around uh, where the, the WrestleMania stadium and this and that, just all these different kind of things that I was in creative and obviously talent and production. So the marketing side of it, this was Dixie and team and others. But when I heard you're going to fly a plane, I'm like, that is awesome. But how the heck are we going to, how's that actually going to go down? And you, you know, you lay on the beach, for years and years down at the Redneck Riviera Conrad, and we've seen it a million times. Tonight, four ninety nine oysters or whatever yeah, it is. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> and we're going to see TNA Impact fly over Mania. Um, anyhow, it, it didn't come to be, but it's a lot of fun, a lot of chatter. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of he said, she said on um, our billboards being driven around, and there were certain lots that were WWE quote unquote managed lots that the drivers had no way of knowing what is a WWE lot and what is not. And look, it's not just public property. It's a public street that they're driving around, but it was good for newsletter writing. Best of my knowledge is 
there was a little bit of stink from some security folks that were like, you can't park here, but that it could have been just as well. They told that to 10 other cars that didn't have TNA impact on the side of it as well. I don't know. Made for good bus, but I do remember heading out to the Fridays that was uh, right there by the airport. That was the Mania Hotel, uh, the Marriott out there, and a couple others in that little area. But the Fridays right beside of it, yeah. Lots and lots of folks went out there. Let's talk about something that was controversial. It was covered in the torch. It was a promo that happened on the television program. This is Christian talking here. Brother Ray, you're like Hillary Clinton in a fat suit. And Don West says, I think brother, brother Ray's better looking. And then Christian said, Hillary Clinton has bigger balls than you. I mean, this continues and styles even says, or today rather says that styles mangles the English language worse than president Bush. So no matter what side of the, the aisle you're on. We've got shots, you know, both Hillary Clinton and president Bush, but I just, I don't get why we're involving politics and wrestling. Isn't wrestling supposed to be fun? Isn't it supposed to be the escape from all that stuff? Were you for this or was this something you were against trying? Well, Conrad, you know me well enough, and I know you're just doing your job. A, yeah. I had no recollection B that certainly wasn't run by me. Um, and look, 15 years ago. I mean, look, I, I've never been knee deep in politics. I just haven't right. on, on either side, but certainly making it a part of wrestling commentary from a promoter standpoint, there's zero upside. And matter of fact, there is depending upon how you really view it. I'm not saying right or left. I'm talking about how you really view how the, the the consumer would take it, but there's a downside to it. Not only not an upside there's to me, there's definitely a downside. So I would have never touched either side with a 10 foot pole because it's why it's, it's, I don't say silly. Cause it's not silly. You're, you're messing with dollars and cents, but, uh, you know, me, uh, I wanted no part of that. I say we should cut it out. But you shouldn't cut your face. And that's why you need Henson shaving. Listen, boys and girls, you have heard Jeff and I just go on and on about how much we love this razor. If you haven't looked at it already, what are you waiting for? You just got to meet Henson shaving a few reasons why number one, Jeff and I love it because it's a family owned business and we know a thing or two about those. Number two, they're an aerospace parts manufacturer that have made parts for the international space station and the Mars Rover. And now they're bringing that same engineering to your shaving experience. Check this out. By using aerospace grade CNC machines, Henson makes metal razors that extend just 0.0013 inches, which is less than the thickness of a human hair. That means a secure and stable blade with a vibration free shave. It also has built in channels to evacuate hair and cream, which makes clogging virtually impossible. Seriously, Henson shaving wanted to make the best razor, not the best razor business. What's that mean for you? No plastic. This is metal. This is heavy duty. This is old school. No subscriptions. Cause you won't need them. I'll explain why no proprietary blades. That's right. Henson razor 
actually uses a standard dual edge blade. It gives you that old school feel, but it's got all the benefits of the new school tech because it's 0.0013 inches. You've never felt a razor that was this thin. It's unbelievable. And oh, by the way, there's no planned obsolescence. You see, they get you down at the grocery store, at the drugstore. They keep all of them under lock and key because they're so expensive. Just talking about the refills, not the actual razor itself, just the refills. And how long is that going to last you? A month? Two months? Here's the thing. When you own a Henson razor, it's only three to five bucks to replace the blades. Not three to five dollars a week, not three to five dollars a month, not three to five dollars a quarter, three to five dollars a year. If you shave your face every day, it's going to run you five bucks a year. You hear me? That's less than 50 cents a month. What are you doing? It's time to say no to subscriptions. Say yes to a razor that'll last you a lifetime. Visit hensonshaving.com slash my world. Pick up the razor for you and use the code my world. You'll get two years worth of blades free. Just be sure to add them to your cart. Two years worth. That's a hundred free blades. When you head to hensonshaving.com slash my world and use the promo code my world. Henson is H E N S O N S H A V I N G Hensonshaving.com slash my world. Use the promo code my world. Jeff, I know you know a thing or two about these dual sided razors, but these are the best yet. Are they not? Conrad the queen witnessed me change the, uh, the blade. Yep. She's shocked. <laughs> she really was. Uh, We've talked about it on here, folks. It is this simple. Try it. it. You just laid out the cost. You will, you will, you will not. You just, you, you, you won't change. Try it one time and you'll You're, see. This is it for life. And, and I mean that sincerely. That's why I'm trying to like, I'm trying to back out of sales mode. No, no, listen, I just want to be honest. I'm going to use this razor forever. If Henson shaving stops advertising next week and we have another sponsor on here, I'll get on here and I'll shield for them. I'm just going to be honest, but I'm not going to tell you that I'm using it. And I'm not going to tell you that it's the last one I'll ever need. This is my favorite razor I've ever had. And it's not close. I feel so strongly. They sent me one for free to try. I loved it. I bought another one for the office. I bought another one for my travel bag. I got my barber on it. I got my dad on it. Everybody I know who tries it one time is hooked. Uh, I have it in aluminum. Um, aerospace aluminum how about that it's that, that just sounds cool and i have it in copper and i have it in black i'm gonna get one for the beach house and i'm gonna get it in blue seriously this is the best razor i've ever had and listen i know what you're thinking 100 free blades how big is this box it's about that big yeah. these dudes are so thin i'm telling you it's a game changer go check it out you're gonna love it i do it's hensonshaving.com slash my world use the promo code my world 100 free blades you can't beat it <laughs> all right so let's talk about sting and kevin nash we're going to see him backstage on the tv show uh sting is going to say that bully ray's comments hit home and got him his attention he said he came back because nash is family and tna is his home he said it's the only thing i know where else am i going to go and he says ray you're marking out for yourself you want to question my intentions uh and then eventually of course uh all the newsletters say, Ooh, sting said, mark it out for yourself. I don't know about that. Is that too inside? But this is what we're doing in 2008. Kevin Nash comes out and says him and sting are different people quote. 
you and I differ quite a bit. Your intentions are honorable, but quite frankly, I'm here for the money. Always have been overpaid. I'd rather be overpaid than underpaid. Do you know how you get paid by being a main eventer? And he said, this keeps him in the spotlight. And after this match, he's going to go where the money's at. I like that. There is a layer of realism there, but I wanted to ask, where do you land on guys talking about making money in wrestling? Not necessarily the winner's purse, but they're, they're talking about the, the mechanics of the real business. And where do you land on quote unquote insider comments, marking out for yourself? Was there a time where that was okay? And it was not okay. And what changed? Just talk to me about your philosophy on that in wrestling. Oh boy. This, this gets into get inside the bubble, get outside the bubble. We'll use the example that just used marking out. I, I think it goes into know your audience, earn them one at a time and making sure that they, they not only the difference between hearing it and understanding it, I think there's some terms that are used that, that just don't resonate with, with, with the general audience marking out may be a little bit of a stretch, but if you following it out, following it up and say, man, quit marking out, you're just way too big fan of yourself. Something it's all in the delivery. I think, um, again, case by case basis. Uh, I think sometimes when you get too inside baseball, confuse them, you lose them and you just get way off track and you're saying things just to say things. It's almost like being gratuitous language. Once you've said, a couple of four letter words, the second, and the third one, the fifth one is irrelevant. Same kind of with insider techno insider terminology. There's a diminishing returns mindset. Uh, and if they don't understand you from the beginning, it's completely useless. Um, and what, that was, your, what was your other question? Uh, the money, what yeah. do you mean exactly by talking about money? Cause I think that is something that, um, is common sense. If you're a babyface and you're talking about, man, I just made a boatload of money off that match. Well, I get that. That's winner's purse stuff, but I'm just wondering. No, that's what I'm saying. Well, go ahead. I cut you. Well, off. I mean, it feels like he's saying, you know, I'm going to go where the money's at. I'd rather be overpaid. And you know, that, that feels like it's leaning into, you know, they're not giving the, the younger guys a push and these old guys are taking up the main event spots and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Some of that, like, don't get me wrong. I want to win a match because the winner makes more money like they do in UFC. Like I would like to pretend that that's the idea behind pro wrestling, but, um, context. So, so my, yeah. my thought is if Kevin is saying stuff as an antagonist, that's where I'm going with it. If he's saying it, I don't say he's being a heel and all that, but no, if he's saying it in an antagonistic manner, it works. If it, if it doesn't add to the story, and that's why I think editors are so important in any form of entertainment. I mean, it's why they pay editors in Hollywood to edit a three hour movie down to, you know, a hundred minutes or less. Why? Because it makes it better. That's why you have folks in the studio that, you know, they're producers, but they're also a lot of editors. Hey man, let's take that bass drum completely out and we're going to add this synthesis. You know, it's makes it better. I think the same thing can go with, 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 uh, 
verbiage, period. You know, if you talk from the heart, that's great. But if you talk from the heart with the fine-tuned kind of wordsmith it and take out what's unimportant, it's like writing an email too, Conrad. You can get so damn wordy that you lose them from, you open an email and you see three paragraphs. I know what Conrad Thompson does. Whoop, delete. I don't have time. <laughs> I'm kidding, folks. But no, you know what? It's, it's it's common sense a lot of times. Uh, March 13th, you guys did a 1.2 rating. March 20th, you're down to a 1.03 rating. But you still have the same number of viewers because there's just not as many people watching TV. Um, and, well, there's more people watching TV, I suppose, because the NCAA tournament's on. Uh, the live impact on March 27th does a 1.0 rating, but it's viewed by 1.5 million fans. So I guess I'm just bringing into context that, Hey, if, if more people are watching TV, it may make your rating lower. It doesn't necessarily mean less people are watching. And that's not something that we often talk about, but the reality is if there is something hot like a uh, college basketball championship or what have you then certainly more people are going to be watching TV, which might mean that the number on your rating goes down, but the actual number of people watching may not go down at all. I don't think that gets lost in the context of the conversation a lot. Don't you, Jeff? So much, especially, I mean, you can go back to when ratings, the Monday night wars and the numbers that were going and, and just, I mean, God, there's so many different examples nowadays, a, a Monday night game or, on Friday or Wednesday, okay, Wednesday, all oh, the big hockey game or the NBA game, whatever it is, the amount of viewers or whatever shows out there that 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 the rating is down. Now, let's look at viewers and let's look at the amount of viewers, 18 to 49, males 18 to 30. All, how many viewers, which is what the real ad market sold on. But nowadays it gets so much more in-depth because you have social media impressions and YouTube views that are same night, Okay, let's break those YouTube views out. How many are in the U.S. and how many are international? Oh, Brother Nielsen just keeps going on and on and on and on. <laughs> the numbers. It's, it's amazing um, how a lot of it is still a mystery. And it even was back in 08. Uh, the Torch wrote this. When a TNA contact was asked if there were any internal theories of the drop-off that usually occurs between the first and second quarter hours, he answered, quote, we wish we knew. Is that accurate? Well, just, I mean, it's so relevant today when you look at raw second and third hour, uh, the disparagement or, or on dynamite first hour versus second hour. And we would look at quarters and okay. Our, we would CSI would dump a massive amount of viewers to us. And so that first quarter hour was skewed because the wrestling fans joined in and some folks that were watching CSI, I guess, left their TV on, but that second order, second hour would drop. And then all of a sudden you'd see third and fourth and okay, what are we going to do at the top of the hour to hold them? It's, it's such a unexact science, um, man, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had at TNA headquarters through the years with a number of people, not just Dixie. I mean, on and on, I'm like, guys, we can, get into this weekly and I want to have this conversation, but we kind of need to look at trends, look at the overall graphs. I would almost want to say even monthly is a little tough. Let's go quarterly and, and, and kind of stay in that wheelhouse. Cause I think if you get into six month periods, then you're really not anyway, it's such an inexact science, but, um, 
nowadays there's more metrics out there than ever before. I mean, there just, there just is, um, which, you know, instantaneous metrics too, uh, minute by minutes, merchandise sales and everything in between. You guys did a great job on this pay-per-view. It got 65% thumbs up. According to the wrestling observer readers, I would go higher than that. It's thumbs up for me. It's in Lowell mass. Uh, they've got 5,500 fans here. It's only set up for 6,000. Uh, so it's not quite a sellout, but it's real close. And of that 5,500, 5,400 are paid just so you know, a hundred is probably the number of comps that the staff and the members of the company and the local media had. So we're not papering at all. Uh, and the company does a great job according to the observer of keeping the crowd hot because they have it announced to the live fans. The loudest fans will get to go backstage and meet the wrestlers. What a great idea that is, Jeff. Who deserves the credit for that? Shout out Jeremy Borash. Shout out JB. It, but it was um, it was crowd engagement. People loved it, and we would grab two or three in between each matches, or maybe more than that. Um, and guys that already worked, or who might not be working on the show, or whatever it may be, grab them and take them backstage, and they get to say a hello and you know, people in the arena go, okay, they just got picked. <laughs> They're going- the way, it is the most awkward thing of all time. Uh, I was, uh, I, I've been advertising here in Huntsville in my local market for a long time, my mortgage company. And I was a lapsed fan. I wasn't watching wrestling at the time, but I found myself, uh, out one of my favorite watering holes downtown, enjoying some adult beverages on a day where impact was running at the VBC. I've never told you this story. Oh boy. And, and my market rep, uh, for the TV station does a pop by and sees me and some of my, my friends who, uh, that we work with in the mortgage biz and they were not wrestling fans, but he said, Hey, do you want to go and meet the wrestlers? And I'm like, no, I'm good. And my other friends say, well, hang on. Is this WWE? And of course he says, no, it's, and so he's trying to explain. So they Google it. So they pull up the roster page. And you guys back in the day had all the knockouts featured very prominently on the website. So my buddies who may or may not have had half a dozen whiskeys in them by this point say, hell yeah, we want to go meet them. And I'm like, guys, this isn't going to be what you think it is. I don't want to do this. I love this. The TV rep talks us into walking over because it's walking distance yeah. downtown. So we walk over and the whole time I'm like, what are we doing? This yeah. is... And so we get there. You and want they... to that seafood tower at Morton's. I'm like, I don't care. What are we doing? And so we get backstage and we're waiting and there's a curtain and this by the steps and out pops abyss and AJ styles. <laughs> and my buddies are like, uh, <laughs> where, where, are, where, are the, where are the women, where are the ladies? I and now been- I'm in a spot where I'm like, Hey y'all. <laughs> Cause here's the thing, like being backstage seems if you've never been there, it's like, Ooh, it's the velvet rope. You get to do it. It's like, you're kind of in the way. And these guys are trying to work. They're trying to, and then some asshole comes and tells them, Hey, the local TV rep needs you to come say hello to some advertisers. They don't want to do this. But they are oblig. They feel an obligation, and they might have even put up a, a bit of a fight. They slide <laughs> their goofy mask on, and they're like, "Okay, here we go. What are we doing?" 
And so then they go out there and there's just me and two dudes. <laughs> hey y'all, what are we going to do? And so the whole way back, as we're walking back to the bar, my friends were like, you were right. That was a waste of time. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did you think was going to happen? And then I was like, even if it was the ladies, what did you think was going to happen? You're going to hit them with some lame shit they never heard before. And they're going to uproot their lives and move to Huntsville. What are we doing? Let's go back and drink. Let's have a good time. Oh, well, Conrad, I don't think I have to tell you. That was funny. I don't have to tell you. Like I, I think, but to our listeners, it is designed to take little kids backstage. I know. I'm like, this is not for us. We're 30. We're not supposed to be here. These are little <laughs> kids who want pictures and autographs. We want none of that. Why are we here? And so now I'm just standing there looking at Abyss and AJ Styles, who are two fantastic right? <laughs> But I'm in a hallway in an arena. And Abyss is sweating. And AJ yeah. is sweating. <laughs> hey, y'all. And so I think AJ's like, he senses how awkward this is. And he's like, what are y'all up to? He's like, we've been drinking. Goes, Clearly. And I'm like, well, it was good to see y'all. And then as we start walking back, oh my God. TV guy goes, aren't they nice? They're just real guys. And I'm like, he has no idea that I know all of this. I, I get it, buddy. I was enjoying whiskey a few minutes ago, and now I'm waving at Abyss. And if I could get in a time capsule in 15 years and say, one day I'm going to bust your balls on a podcast, he'd say, what's a podcast? And I'd say, what's the Rick Boogs? We'd both be confused. And he would go down the rabbit hole of Joe Montana and, uh, yeah. He wouldn't even know who Joe Joe Burrow was in middle school. He was in he was in elementary school in this happened. Or Joey. Or Joey Burrow. Oh. Yeah. So listen, if you get a chance to go backstage because you're the loudest fans and you're an adult man in your 30s. Hey, y'all. <laughs> what else is there to say? I don't know these people. Oh Lord in mercy. So before the show starts, Dixie Carter gets in the ring, tells the fans it's the largest crowd in the history of the promotion. Of course, the prior year when you guys were in St. Charles, uh, Missouri for lockdown, you claimed 6,000 fans there, but this one does have more paid fans. This has to be a high five all around. Is it not? It was again, you know, to, to kind of connect last week's episode, the GFW and Toby and all this to know where we had come from. Oh, six, oh, seven. Nothing happened overnight for us. It was a slow burn, a slow build. But, you know, this was uh, in the, we'll call it the WWE footprint. But, um, you know, tickets went on sale. The match build went well. Um, no disrespect to anybody else on the card, but we, we knew we put as many eggs in our basket as far as creating revenue with, with Joe and Kurt. And here we are. And a hell of a house for us at the time. And again, you have to go back and, you know, 5,600 fans or 6,000 fans, whatever it may be. 2008, it's not 2000, you know, 20. And you're looking at uh, yeah, just, it was a different time. It really was. This was at the time, a hell of a house for us, both people wise and uh, gross revenue wise. It's amazing to see how this company has grown and it's going to continue to grow. Let's jump right into the match. Uh, the very first one is an escape match. It's 
Black Machismo, Jay Lethal versus Sanjay Dutt versus Consequences Creed. I wonder what he ever did. Versus Johnny Devine versus Curry Man versus Shark Boy. Lethal wins in 10 minutes. The uh, Observer gave it three stars. The Torch gave it a star in three quarters. But think about this cast of characters. We all love Black Machismo. What a great job he did. Curry Man is the incredible Christopher Daniels with a silly fun gimmick. Shark Boy is just fun no matter who you are. Consequences Queed is going to go on to be Xavier Woods. Sanjay Dutt, man, if you never saw his stuff and his aerial attack, my goodness. And then Johnny Devine, who you guys were really high on. This is a fun way to start a, uh, a pay-per-view, is it not? Yeah, and we had the SoCal Val, Sanjay, Jay story that was woven in this, but we, we opened with action is the perfect way to start this event. Uh, the opening, as we've said on here many times, the main event's the most important match, but the opener, I believe, is right out there at number two or 2B. Uh, let me ask you this. A cage match, is that more challenging for X Division? I mean, it feels like that almost limits what these guys could normally do. Well, this was the escape. Uh, yes. Know, again, all steel cage format, every match on the card, was in a cage, so we had to cuff in the cage, escape match, uh, all, all kinds of ten man tag, lower the roof, and I mean, there's we had we stipulated every match, and so for these X division guys, I don't want to say limited because they do a lot of stuff high flying in the ring, and now they could climb the cage um, and and do stuff off the top rope and all that. But the you know the story is the escape. Um, that that's that's the hook uh but these guys it was action no matter how you slice and dice it it was bell to bell action no doubt about that next up we've got the ladies salinas versus christy hemi versus angelina love versus velvet sky versus miss jackie versus rocket Khan versus, versus roxy laveau versus tracy brooks queen of the cage lord have mercy you got more talent than you got minutes Salinas, Hemi, Love, Sky, Jackie, Khan, Roxy, Tracy Brooks. Eight ladies, seven minutes. Yep. Both the yep. Torch and the Observer. Uh, give it three quarters of a star. Listen, uh, this is a highly rated part of the television show. You got to feature them. Are we just trying to get everybody on the program here? I mean, this is a lot of folks. Well, I look, I, I probably had the exact same feeling reading the notes that I did 15 years ago. All right, we got to figure a way. These girls bust their ass week in and week out. They're pulling numbers. We got to get everybody on the show. Unfortunately, yeah. that's the, the honest reality. Well, listen, I can appreciate that. I mean, you do want to reward them. They're, they're doing great in the ratings. Uh, when it's all said and done, Roxy gets the win in seven minutes. Uh, tell me about Roxy. You haven't spent a lot of time talking about her here on the program. Talented. I'll never forget Roxy getting her head shaved. Um, my gosh, that's a, another story, another podcast. Talented. She look, that was something that from a real mindset of creating the knockouts division, it was one by one by one, but we wanted every knockout to have a different persona not just, you know, I'll call it uh, on the male version, boots and tights and go to the ring and have a great match. I, I, that wasn't, uh, now, okay, you help me out here, but the alternative, the divas 
or just kind of how they were, what was the competition, Conrad? How would you kind of verbalize what WWE was doing at the time? Bra and panties for a minute or two. That, that was kind of it. But so you, you have to look at, at it that if we're going to have females on the show, we can't just have a mass quote unquote wrestlers. I just didn't think that was appealing. So each, each, each female had to have a character and Roxy was Cajun. Yeah. You know, just, she, she had a different vibe, a cool vibe for her and the people, um, re she resonated with the people. She's a badass chick. The thing about this too, um, you're trying to pull up different gimmicks, right? So yes, it's a cage match. I mean, it is a cage, but the first match is an escape match. So you're trying to see who can get out first. And here the idea is you have to climb into the cage and then you get the win. So the queen of the cage is a little different. Now we've got Kip, uh, BG James versus Kip James. There's been a whole bunch of, um, build for this, but it mostly talks about their WWE history. We've beat that up together here in the past. Uh, BG gets the win in eight minutes. The observer gave it a star. The torch gave it a half a star. Uh, road dog has said this wasn't his best match, but you got to put him over here to make Kip James a more hateable heel. Is that sort of the idea? Yes. And, and look, you, you, we kind of, you already said on it, it, at this stage of both those guys career and their story of the new age outlaws fighting each other and coming back. It was what it was. Hey guys need to call a quick time out here. Wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling my listeners over at OU didn't know for a while now about all the cool things happening over at adsfreeshows.com. He created the soundtrack for generations of WWE fans with some of the most iconic themes in history. Legendary composer Jim Johnston sits down with Conrad to take us behind the themes that we all grew up on, including Randy Orton's Voices. Got your rules and your religion All designed to keep you safe But when rules start getting broken You start questioning your faith That's just a small taste of what we got waiting for you. With four levels to choose from, see for yourself why ads-free shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now at adsfreeshows.com. We've got uh, Cuffed in the Cage. This has got a little uh, Vince Russo on it. It's Kaz and Eric Young versus Scott Steiner and Petey Williams versus Black Rain and Relic versus the Motor City Machine Guns. It's uh, lots of chaos, like a battle royal up front. Uh, Young comes down to ringside a couple minutes into the match. In the end, he gets the win in 10 minutes. The Observer gives it two and a quarter stars. The Torch gives it one star. Um, he's going to break Kaz's cuffs so he can join him in a celebration young is, uh, 
super Eric. This is fun stuff, is it not? Yeah, and this is the kind of okay, all these guys busted their ass, and you know, we had to make the decision. Uh, so cuffed in the cage. It's it's a relatively, and I remember we were had we had different discussions on different stipulations to put inside the cage. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's me or Dutch or even Vince, I, whatever, wherever it came up was. And, and I remember the mindset was, let's just keep it simple. The real reality of this is super Eric is the alter ego and Eric was skittish. And this is building up uh, the, the year before that. He always thought he was going to get fired, but the skittish Eric created an alter ego and he got scared off at the beginning of the match. And we created a spot for super Eric to come down and, you know, get the win comedy character, but a feel good moment, but it got 10, 12 guys on the show and they got to showcase their talent in a limited capacity. But again, it was what it was. It was, we want the people to be ready for Kurt Joe. Next up it's awesome Kong and, uh, Mrs. Saeed taking on ODB and Gail Kim. They go eight minutes as well. Uh, two and a half stars from both newsletters. In the end, ODB and Kim get their hand raised. We've talked about this a little bit before, uh, but even uh, on the other shows, like I do with Eric, man, ODB was just ahead of her time. And the same can be said about Awesome Kong and Gail Kim. You guys have a lot of ladies on this pay per view, but you guys were really at the cutting edge of this. Uh, who behind the scenes deserves, deserves some of the credit for pushing the ladies as hard as they were? Dutch was big. I mean, he's a big part of it, but I was a huge proponent of, I can't tell you how many times me and Andy Barton would go into, uh, call him our dog and pony show, but going in, whether it's a new licensee that whatever it may be, I mean, I mean, any kind of licensee, whether it's t-shirts or apparel or uh, goods or whatever it may be, or even the video game, you know, tell us about TNA entertainment and look four distinct divisions, heavyweight tag X division. Oh, wait, what's the X division? Not about no limits, not about weight limits, about no limits. Oh, it's a high flying action combines a couple of different styles. Oh, wait, your knockouts. Can you tell us about knockouts at the end of the day? Uh, and I don't know how I would, uh, I would have to think on how I cached it, but, um, we're not bra and panties. We're not what you see on the other channel. It's character driven, but athletically based talent. And, and we had a real focus on that and ODB at this stage, uh, certainly, you know, Gail and, and Kong were the, the, the top program, but in this set of circumstances, ODB had momentum and how do we get her in this scene? And let her and Gail were on the winning team. Saeed dropped the fall. Um, but look, I was a, look, it goes without saying Dutch. Um, Scott DeMore uh, also was a fan of it. And I'm going to say Vince, it, it's not that he didn't like it, but we all know that Vince liked story and outlandish and never was totally dialed into, I'll say this, the in-ring product. He not that he didn't like a good match. He he's a writer. So what did he want to do? He magically wanted to write. Um, but but the knockouts division was something that was cultivated over a couple of years. But I'd say me and Dutch. Let's mention the uh the next match here. May have had the best build on TV for any of the stuff we're talking about today, even though we didn't touch on it. It's Booker T teaming up with his wife Charmel. 
to take on Robert Roode and Peyton Banks. Um, the Observer and the Torch both only gave it a star and a quarter, but the television build for this was pretty doggone good. When did you know that Bobby Roode was was going to be a really big star in pro wrestling? Uh, I think I've told this story on here a couple of times. At the Asylum, he did a backstage interview with Scott Hudson, and I can remember just kind of watching him that day and how he carried himself and in ring. And I just, I remember asking to more, I'm like, now, Scott, what did you say? He's going to be signed or why is he? I, I thought WWE had him and he's like, Nope, they, they more or less kind of passed on him. And I'm saying sign him today. I've always thought Bobby had the, I hate to say the total package or the it factor, or, but or, because it just, you know, typecast it. Bobby, there's nothing he can be a heel or babyface. He can be in a tag or single. Uh, just he's got all the skill sets. I'm, I to this day, that song "Glorious" and his WWE run. I'm still surprised that they didn't just hammer down. You know, and again, timing, and you never ever know the subjective nature on what could or couldn't happen, or what did or didn't happen. Uh, but I've always been super high on Bobby and his talent. In they, hindsight, should they have just let the guys be one-on-one here? Yes. Booker and Robert Reed. Yes. They go seven minutes and ultimately Charmel rolls up banks for the win. Afterwards, Rude's going to start yelling at banks and he even cocks his fist and Don West on commentary predicts a riot. If he goes any further, this is really well done stuff here, but it does feel like the match would have been better if it was just Booker versus Bobby rude and have the ladies on the outside and maybe have the ladies wrestle on TV, but I don't know. Maybe this was supposed to be the let me up match, but it could have been more, I think. And here's the yin and yang of it. Did we not want to beat Bobby on this show? Maybe. Was it it not ready in the storyline evolution of let's make it a mixed tag and take the fall on Peyton Banks. That's what my gut tells me. I just would have to look at the whole arc of the story, but Booker, was incentivized working with Bobby in a good way. Hey, so let's talk about, uh, the next match. This is not the main event, but boy, it is an interesting one. It's team cage versus team Tomco. And you want to talk about talent. There's a ton of it here. And this is the first match that gets any real time. I just want to recap match. Number one, 10 minutes match. Number two with the ladies, seven minutes match. Number three with BG James, eight minutes. Uh, the, uh, the big tag match with, uh, Scott Steiner and Pity Williams, 10 minutes, the ladies with, uh, the ladies tag with awesome Kong and ODB and all those gals, eight minutes Booker and uh, Charmel get the win in seven minutes. This one, they give some time and team cage wins in 26 minutes. Team cage is made up of Christian cage, Kevin Nash, Rhino sting and Matt Morgan. Let me run through that again. Former ECW world champion, Rhino, former WWF and WCW champion, Kevin Nash, former WWF or WWE heavyweight champion, Christian Cage, former NWA and WCW champion, Sting, and Matt Morgan, who is on American Gladiators. And they're going to take on Tyson Tomko, perhaps the most decorated tag team in history, Team 3D, probably the franchise of impact wrestling, AJ styles. And who a lot of people thought would be the next big thing, James storm. That's team Tomco. 
a lot of talent here. There's a lot of weapons in here. And it gets a little scary. Hmm. James Storm almost falls through the roof. And I imagine in the back, you guys have to be a little panicked when you see this. Do you know it? Yep. Um, I'm glad you've pointed out to go back a little bit on the times of the matches. Yeah. It again, reinforced, I guess I didn't really follow that in the notes, but again, I'll say it. I think this is part of why I like to do this kind of look back on this, but we wanted to save as much time as Kurt and Joe and the packages and the entrances and just really give the people that paid and we, you know, to see this, their money's worth on that one match. So everything else was done pretty speedy when you hear it in that kind of uh, deal. And then this 10 man tag had a lot of story living, a lot of star power. Um, and, the top of the cage, if I remember correctly, we knew it was going to be a little gimmicked or a little weak at that one place that, that they could do a spot, but I think it went way past the point of uh, being gimmicked. And, yeah, um, I'll let you go ahead into the notes, but, man, what a high spot, what a finish, what a performer, these guys. They The roof came off when they did this. The building, everybody in the arena – was up on their feet chanting. It was a, it was a sight backstage curtain sell out as well. It was, it was one of those. We knew it'd be good with, 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 uh, AJ, you know, in the finishing sequence, but man, whole nother level. Sting is going to put the scorpion death lock on Tom Co styles is going to break it up with a kendo stick. Meanwhile, Christian starts setting up a table. Styles notices this joins Christian and storm on the roof. He hits Christian with a trash can lid and sets him on the table. Styles sets up a ladder. Tanae is begging Styles not to do it. Christian gets up on the opposite side of the ladder and tries to knock Styles to the floor, which would have killed him. Instead, Storm tosses Christian and Styles off the ladder through a table on the roof, and the fans go berserk, chanting TNA, TNA, and that was awesome. Back in the ring, James Storm climbs down, breaks a beer bottle over the head of Matt Morgan. That's right, a broken beer bottle over the head. And Rhino blindsides James Storm with a gore for the pin. Crazy action here. Three and a half stars in the torch, three and three quarter stars in the observer. I'm sure when you think about this many guys in a cage with all these weapons, you might say it's too much, but the fans were super hot for it. This was crazy. And boy, it was dangerous too. And going back to the names you, you had in there on the babyface side, sting and Nash, not spring chickens. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes. it was very well put together and it was star studded and look, no matter how you slice and dice it, Bub and Devon, they're just, they're just really, really good, man. I've always said that they know how to be, uh, get everybody engaged and the glue. And then you take kind of a highlight performer like AJ. And we're talking about that spot to this day. It was shown in highlight reels. I mean, it was a, the, the natural organic reaction when AJ did that and the whole arena chant and TNA, it, it was a, it was a kind of a, 
a real feel-good moment for that Lowell crowd. It was a fantastic moment. It's going to be highlights uh, forever and ever and ever on TNA. But this has all been building to the main event. The real reason we're here, Kurt Angle versus Samoa Joe. They're going to show both Angle and Joe backstage heading towards the interest ramp before they walk through the curtain. This feels like it's right out of the UFC. It gives it a huge big fight feel. Borash is going to handle the ring introductions. And that makes it feel even bigger than Dave Penzer just doing it from the floor. Angle's going to wear boxing trucks, trunks here rather than a singlet and no boots, just taped up angles. Uh, Joe's wearing his same usual ring outfit. Angle's going to notice Karen in the front front row and yell at her, get her out of here. Security walks over and she says, I came here for you. <laughs> and Frank Trigg said he doesn't allow his wife to be in the arena until after the fight is over. It can affect your confrontation, your concentration. Karen throws a fit and walks away. The match itself though, man, this is fun. And Frank Trigg is actually going to be helping out with commentary. And he says, I'm so much more impressed with Samoa Joe than I was before this match. Joe escaped and applies a crossface from behind. The crowd starts chanting, Joe's going to kill you. Somehow Angle escapes. And then he gets the crossface back on. Angle's going to power up, hit Joe with the Olympic slam. And he gets a near fall that Don West comes out of his seat for and yells, unbelievable. Angle slaps on the ankle lock right in the middle of the ring. Joe's teasing a tap out. And today is screaming, this is your career. This is your livelihood. Joe escapes and yanks Angle by the back of the trunks into a rear naked choke. Angle grabs at the ref shirt. Ref pulls away. But in the process, he dragged Angle and Joe to the ropes. Angle's then going to grab the bottom rope and force a break. Trigg calls this a great strategy on commentary. And Mike Tanay doesn't agree, of course. Joe then throws Angle into the side of the cage, sidekicks him in the jaw, gives him a muscle buster, and that's the pin. Joe celebrates with the belt as his music is playing. He's going to hug his trainer, Davis. It took 20 minutes. And as you see, if you're watching on YouTube, there is a prone Kurt Angle as you've never seen him with taped up ankles and feet and, and trunks, not a singlet. Joe wins. He's the TNA heavyweight world champion. The torch gave it four and a half stars. The observer gave it four and a quarter stars. Got to be one of the biggest moments in Joe's entire career. How big of a moment was it for TNA? Big. And, and it's something that, you know, in a lot of ways, it's, um, well, going back to throwing back to the Cody story, you know, finish the story. Joe had come in, uh, what, two and a half years before, whatever it may be, and had the undefeated streak. And, and, and when he transitioned from that, it was like he's got to climb this mountain uh, to be the champ. It, it was, it was big. It, it was, when you think back on, we'll call it the spike era. And I'm just trying to think of the prior champions, the list of TNA champions, Kurt won it the first ever slammiversary Nashville. Oh, seven. I recall correctly. So now we are, you know, yeah, Kurt and then sting and then and Kurt then, again, and then Samoa Joe here. So at this point, as far as the rebrand, this is the first homegrown. That's what I thought I remembered. This is the first homegrown star, you know, because Kurt and Sting are not homegrown. 
No. Uh, it, it was big. It was really, really, really big. Again, it's it's that momentum that as a brand that you got to build, but time takes time. And so, you know, had we done this a year before, it wasn't ready for Joe or, or, or AJ or anybody. But by this point, and Kurt, man, folks, go out of your way. To watch this one. Yes. Just kind of watch that, that look and, and take it in context. Joe had, you know, bus all through people in minutes for a year and a half. And Kurt had been against me or sting or a wedding silliness and all this, but kind of watch this story told and the roller coaster they took us on. It was really, really well done. And that badass Kurt, that is what gave the big payoff that Joe climbed a mountain and won. We should also mention, I feel like that. I think this is the match where Kurt got legit knocked out in the middle of the match. They still finished. Um, and you know, you talked about the homegrown star thing. I just want to point out that wouldn't happen again for you guys for over three years in October of 2011, you let James storm hold the belt for a cup of coffee and then Bobby Roode wins it. But that happens in 2011. So it's three and a half years later before we try it again, even though we did get an uptick in business. Um, this show does 55,000 buys. It's the second highest in TNA history behind Genesis 2006. And by the way, you might be saying, well, what beat it? Samoa Joe versus Kurt Angle. It did 60,000 buys. So one and two all time for you guys on pay-per-view was Samoa Joe and Kurt Angle. Is there any argument in terms of pay-per-view dollars? Joe and Angle is the biggest money match in TNA history. When I did the research, go back to last week, I think Jeff Sting, and that sounds self-serving, is in the middle of that. Uh, okay. Dollars and all that, but it's neither here nor there. But as far as angles that drew the most money, by far. So they had, they had three on pay per view in the best, the rubber match. Then they had this one. And then I think they've had another one coming up. But for sure, those four, big, really big. And if you look at it, it's kind of the poster boy of, uh, of the brand Samoa Joe climbing the mountain each time. The, yes. The, yeah. But you know, if, if that makes sense, it the was case of him trying yeah, to, make, yeah. yes. By the way, I just want to remind everybody lockdown 2007 was team angle versus team cage that did 35,000 buys. This does 55,000. Wow. Destination X was the month before it did 20,000 buys. This does 55,000 buys. Huge. Every time we went back to Joe and Angle with this story of Joe chasing, it was money. It worked. Yeah. Uh, lots of people have been critical, Jeff, over the years of your decision or the company's decision to do an entire card filled with cage matches. We've talked about it here before. Did it ever feel like too much of the good stuff for you? It had to have run through my mind. Yes. No pay-per-view was ever perfect. I hated doing three hour again. I went down that rabbit hole a little while ago about, you know, doing pay-per-views and the 
the battle of do we get ratings up or do we get buy rates up and what's the greatest ROI out of this whole situation. But I never liked a pay-per-view with, with so little of stakes because it really did remind me of just another impact, but an all steel cage format, super challenging. And yes, going to the well one too many times, of course that kind of ran through my head often, but Hey, without risk, no reward. We gave it a shot. By the way, you are correct. And it was not self-serving Genesis 2006 is still the record with, uh, angle and Joe, uh, but Jeff and sting is real close with it. That same year, 2006, this though is number three lockdown, 2008. Once again, angle and Joe, but when you take a look at the rest, man, yeah. Number four is final resolution. 2006. Number five is lockdown. 2006. Number six is bound for glory. 2007 with sting versus Kurt angle. I'm bringing all this up because it feels like you guys had bigger stars and a bigger roster and all that years after this way after why, what's the biggest takeaway? Like, why do you think TNA never reached with all that crazy roster? And it feels like all the other metrics would say, oh, well, you did your biggest pay-per-view business later when you had the bigger audiences and you had more time on TV and da 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 That's not the case. Have you been able to put your finger on why that is all these years later? I believe when you look at the renewal cycle of the spike deal, it wasn't an overt decision because I don't think Dallas would ever have gone with it. I don't think internally in Nashville we would ever gone for it, but the growth in revenue, Oh six, Oh seven, Oh eight, Oh nine, you know, all that. Did we consciously and subconsciously make a decision? We're going for ratings versus buy rates. Only had I not done my world Conrad and really got to drill down and look at this. Cause again, when we're going through the process with Toby looking at numbers and everything like that, but you, and I like to, to go right up to 2000, uh, September of 2009 into 2000, when Hogan came on board, we rebranded no matter how you slice and dice it. It was a rebrand with talent first, then the name, and then kind of a, half brand and TNA impact. But anyway, it, it, it's two different companies from pre and post uh, pre. And then Hogan, when Hogan came on board and everything that went with it, it was a complete rebrand, but Oh six, you just said, I think the top four are in Oh six, Oh seven. Um, we, I, we did because we didn't have the two hours. We had the one hour. We solely focused on drawing money off the pay-per-views. When we got into that two-hour mindset, did we subconsciously, Conrad, go, you know, we got to get these numbers up because if we get these numbers up, our licensing fee goes up. And that's where the real weekly money comes in, in and out. To me, that is the, the deciding factor. We started serving two masters. Mm. Prior to serving two masters, it was the pay-per-view master. And that's where the numbers look at the results. Well, let's, uh, let's do a question here. Uh, maybe it's just more of a comment. Brian Fuller says, I felt this was the best version of TNA because they were offering different than 
WWE, not less than. The style of Kurt and Joe was so different and real that it felt like a missed opportunity to continue with that style with other wrestlers who can do that style too. Was that ever considered working more matches like this? I th- I think we all were happy with it. Why we didn't go back to it, I don't know. Maybe Kurt got his bell rung because um, he did. Um, it was more physically taxing. Um, but, you know, it certainly signified an alternative vibe to it without question. Um, and it turned well, out obviously being, go ahead. Well, I'm going to ask you about, I'm sure you've at least you're a wrestling junkie more than you're a basketball junkie. What do you think of Josh Barnett's blood sport? Niche. Let, let, me, let me explain. Some of our listeners might not know what the hell I'm talking about every year. At WrestleMania. They present Josh Barnett's blood sport. The idea is we take the ropes down and we do a more grappling quote unquote work shoot style. So there's not going to be some of the crazy antics you see in wrestling. Some of the stuff that maybe is nonsensical, like, you know, you try to Irish whip a guy and he just starts running. None of that happens. We all sort of forgive that and look past it in pro wrestling. This is much more ground-based. And I'm not going to go so far as to say UFC style because we're not really punching each other wide open as hard as we can in the face. I mean, maybe some of the guys are, but the outcome is predetermined, but it is a quote unquote worked shoot. Do you think that could work on a larger scale or since UFC is so popular, that ship has sailed to me, that ship has sailed. You can look at pride in Japan and years gone by. You can look at the. Well, I'll just jump all the way on the shark brawl for all that at the end of the day, that's not sustainable, but that was a shoot. Like we know that was a shoot, but, but so listen, let me ask you this. Cause you said something I got to ask. Do you think pride was a work? Yes. I did too. Yeah. Not all of it, but parts of it. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's business. I mean, yes. All right. Well, listen, we've upset all, all, all the Fedor fans out there. He was never that good. Uh, next week is spring stampede 2000, the Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff relaunch of WCW. And it's all focused around the greatest wrestler to ever lace. Double J. We'll also be discussing Tennessee Lee in the spring of 98 in the WWF in the coming weeks. We'll be talking about dusty roads, a couple of infamous slam anniversaries, Shawn Michaels, victory road, 2008. How Jeff always winds up working with the celebrities that Chuck Norris fellow was never the same. Uh, Plus, we'll continue the Dixie Carter and Road Dog stories, along with a little more Global Force action, all in the coming weeks here on My World. Hey, wait. In the meantime, Jeff, Jim Johnston, I found him. I pinned him down. We had a whole conversation with Conrad on adfreeshows.com. This is the guy who did the legendary theme songs for Randy Orton, for Stone Cold Steve Austin, for The Undertaker. And of course, your favorite song in mine, With My Baby Tonight. You can enjoy all of these shows early and ad-free. More than a dozen of your favorite wrestling podcasts over at adfreeshows.com. It starts at just nine bucks a month. We want you to try it for free. I'm even giving you a free trial right now over at adfreeshows.com. By the way, if your business targets men 25 to 54 years old, no better place to advertise than right here on my world. You hear some of the same ads over and over and over for years. You know why? Because it really works. With our super targeted audience, there's very little waste. Go right now to advertisewithjarrett.com. That's advertisewithjarrett.com and find out more about advertising here on my world. 
Love to have your interaction on social. It's at my world pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. He is at real Jeff Jarrett. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And you can watch our program over on YouTube, which by the way, is a whole lot of fun. Do us a favor, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button over at myworldonyoutube.com. And you've probably seen, if you were watching today, a lot of the great merch that uh, Jeff has been cranking out over at boxofgimmicks.com. That's boxofgimmicks.com. Man, there's so much going on today. I appreciate the time. I didn't know what I expected when we click record. I never do, but this was a blast, man. Thanks for all the time. I appreciate it. It was fun. Yeah. Lockdown, guys. Conrad, 15 15 years. Enough, enough. You were, uh, you were, you were younger than me. I guess. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Yeah, hey, is it true that, uh, I feel like we should give our, our loyal, faithful listeners here an, an update. Is it true? My man, Cody has had to pull out of his wrestling debut that was coming up next month in Portland. We haven't discussed this. You know, he had an ankle, had to go. I don't know if you saw that on social media. I did. He went to TOA. That's Tennessee orthopedic association it's it's one of those you've dealt with nagging injuries yes he's on and off the irr from time to time so he's got a nagging ankle injury i'm hoping that you know they're out of school today but he'll be in school uh, back tomorrow we got to get the ankle on the men and then at the end of the day conrad here's what i believe and i'll let you read between the lines but i i just have a strong feeling that my man codes has some compassion in him because I think let's just call it as it is. I Jeremiah's think, scared. Yes. I, I didn't want to really come out and say that. But I'll say it. He knows he's scared. I agree. I agree. And, and Alex, I think is trying to be somewhat a mediator, Alex Tater, the, the tag team partner. I think he's trying to just play it down the middle and, and let it go. But you know, now all of a sudden Ricky Morton, Rock and Roll Express, they're on one side. Kind of, we hadn't even had this conversation. And you know, Kerry Morton is is going to be at the Strawberry Festival in Portland. So there is a lot of moving parts, as we say, a lot to unpack. But we got to get the ankle done first, uh, and then we'll. I think that's kind of our set point. I appreciate you asking, though. Just so you know, Jeff, uh, in advance of this, I went down to the Home Depot this weekend. Oh boy! And I got a gallon of the brightest yellow paint that money can buy. Oh, and on the off chance that codes is not willing to go in the ring. Let me just say, Mr. Uh, Mr. Jeremiah, we may be able to show everybody his true colors at the strawberry festival. Just cause he can't get in the ring. Doesn't mean he can't just show everybody who you really are. Jeremiah. Now we're talking Connie. Now see Rick Flair's last match one year, the next year, Jeremiah's last match.com. <laughs> That's it. It's over for you. We'll see you guys next week right here on my world. Peace. As an adult, don't we all miss spring break? Nothing like taking a week off from all your responsibilities. Well, here's the next best thing for adults. A spring break from house payments. Savewithconrad.com can help you get rid of all your credit card debt. Just like that. We're routinely helping our listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. But check this out. No house payments for two months at savewithconrad.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, 
It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.